Welcome to Music Mastery Academy, where we talk about all things music. From practicing and support for parents, to theory and music history, to navigating the ups and downs of the dynamic world of music. We hope that these conversations are an encouragement to you as you navigate your own journey. All right, so welcome back. Uh, We're going to be talking today about some interesting things. What are we talking about today, Jennifer? So we are talking today about neurodivergence and how it affects you as a musician, how it can help you as a musician, all of the wonderful things that it can bring to the table. That's awesome. And I think this is a topic that's kind of, it's, it's gained in popularity in the media right now. And so why don't we just go ahead and start with our own or with our definition of what neurodivergence means. Yeah, I think that's great. And I think this can be, I mean, this can be a tricky topic to talk about, Yeah. first of all. Yeah. And I think that neurodivergence to me is just this great variety of ways that our brains work. And just accepting the fact that we are not cookie cutter people. That's right. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have a diagnosis, or even if you have a diagnosis, that that diagnosis necessarily fits exactly the profile of how your brain functions. Right. So, yes. I, and I, and my thoughts about it too, have expanded immensely in my own understanding. I mean, you look at the DSM-5 in 2014, there was a and it changed from the two, from the DSM-4 to the DSM-5 with a whole lot of new changes. Uh, but the, the, the adjustments to the DSM, whatever it was, I think were a little minor, a little less major than it was than the DSM-5. And so this encompasses all kinds of mental health or mental issues or mental diagnoses or, or criteria for diagnosing. And as it's not an exact science, um, I used to think it kind of was, it was kind of like a blood test and you'd get kind of this like stamp. Oh, I am this kind of person right? or your children, you know, et cetera. But it's become a lot more, I think it's enhanced humanity's understanding of what people are and what they're not. And I think that as we evolve from a previous culture of, I don't know, I feel like our understanding of humans has expanded in the mind from a black and white view into a more colorful view. Uh, so with neurodivergence, the most common um the most common talked about conditions are autism and ADHD, at least from the material that I consume. Yeah. Um, However, I believe that neurodivergence is potentially open to a lot more of different kinds of minds. And even within autism and ADHD, there's a multitude of misunderstandings or even just lack of understandings at this point. We don't know a lot about the brain. We're we're always learning. And so I think every generation is going to expand on this. However, we are mentors and this time in 2024, we are music teachers. We are parents. We are, we are, um, we're, we're living in today with the information that we have now. And so how can we use what information we have now to help us and how we interact with other humans? (laughs) So that's really what the question is. So this is something that for me always kind of attracted me to the Suzuki method and the Suzuki philosophy. Interesting. And I'll kind of like explain why. (laughs) Yes. Um, Just because I have always loved the approach when you find a Suzuki teacher who truly embraces the philosophy of Suzuki, not one that's just using the books. Do you know what I mean? But that really embraces the philosophy. And for those of you who don't know, 
Suzuki has, I mean, if you want a great book, go read Nurtured by Love by Suzuki. It's absolutely fantastic. And he um, had this philosophy that all children could become musicians. Yes. His philosophy of every child can, that is like, when you have a Suzuki teacher who believes that, even not a Suzuki teacher, just a teacher that believes that, that every child can, it completely changes the framework of the lesson because they're not looking at your child from a place of like, is this child going to be able to be successful or not? Right. They're looking at your child as how can we make this a successful experience? They're yes. a lot more curious about how, how they need to adapt their teaching or how they need to reach your child because they believe in that core philosophy that every child is capable of being a musician. And I just think that's a beautiful thing. It's so true. And what about that is so important as a music teacher? How does having that viewpoint, the Suzuki or similar viewpoints, um, impact you as a music teacher? So I think for me personally, I think there's a big difference between, I mean, I've had students who have come to me from other teachers who were told, you're not good at this. You'll never be able to succeed. They were told that. And then they come to me and their confidence is like rock bottom, right? Yeah. They just feel like, oh, there's something wrong with me. I, right. I, but I really want to play the piano, you know, right. but there must be something wrong with me because I was told that I couldn't succeed at this. Yes. And then we sit there and we find ways to succeed. And that's always my goal. And it may look different for every child, right? I Success looks different. For every child. And I think that's something especially important when we're thinking about neurodivergence. Yes. That we can't compare people. We can't put people in like this line of comparison. No. They have to only be like, we have to celebrate progress on an individual level. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it helps us redefine what success means too. Absolutely. Yeah. The way that the world has changed since the 2020 pandemic. Right. <laughs> With technology. Um, I mean, there's a lot of pros and cons to it, but like, One thing that I've noticed truly is the amount, the diverse opportunities that there are is almost as vast as the sands, you know, sand grains of of a beach, you know, just so many, so many ways to be successful, ways that we're not even aware of yet. And I think that when you become more of a discovery minded person, when you become a a detective, a scientist, a a kind of this new, when you expand outward into thinking outside of the box, that makes you, or at least it makes me much better at mentoring these kinds of students, especially, and also helping myself in the way that I see other people, the way that I view competition, the way that I view the scarcity idea and how how false that is. Right, absolutely. I'm more of an abundant mindset with opportunity. Um, When I I am now granted with this ability to see when someone else is successful in my eyes, I see that as a gain, as a bonus, because I can see ways to expand on that or I can see ways to um, benefit from that or to catapult me into a new idea. Ideas are immense. There's no such thing as running out of ideas. (laughs) So especially in your teaching. So as far as understanding neurodivergence in a context of a music lesson, I have to look at my own family. I have to look at the people that I'm very close to, and I don't want to give out too much personal information, but I will say that what I've learned about the sensory experience of uh, children with autism, 
of how much they're absorbing from their environment. It's like when we were figuring out these microphones, if you're turning up the dial of sensitivity too high, um, it's incomprehensible. It's, you know, so in order to understand how best to mentor or teach someone with autism specifically and ADHD has its own challenges too and and tricks and fun. I think of it as like fun curveballs that you get to enjoy in your teaching. But, but with um, autism specifically, I'll, I'll finish with this idea that if you can put your, the more that you as a teacher can put yourself in the shoes of someone with autism, the, okay, not only are you better able to teach them and help respond to them, but the better of a teacher you become. And the, it's like your mind is evolved. Like you just have, not only are you a good teacher for those with autism, but you're a better teacher for every single person. You're a better, you see the world in a more gentle way. And you're also filled with more joy. I have not experienced more joy than exposing the children in my life who have autism or ADHD or neurodivergence to music because it is the perfect and that's one thing I want to ask you. What ways is music education so great for those with neurodivergence? Well, first of all, I want to wrap back around and just say something. We love to talk about this stuff. Yes. <laughs> um, but this idea of putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and like really trying to imagine what are they experiencing? And this is like, I, I think that like for me with my children that struggle with this, this is something I've been trying to do a lot because I think with some, some things that we can see with the body, like if you have a broken arm, you can see it, you can see the cast, you can, you can, it's just like this ever present reminder. Yes. Oh, that bone is broken. That must be really uncomfortable. We need to be careful with that arm. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) Like you're just like, and even people, externally that don't know what's going on in your life, see that. And they can say, Oh, their bone is broken. We need to give them this, these accommodations, this help. And what I've encountered with my children who have neurodivergence is this like inflexibility sometimes in people to be willing to put themselves into that position in the same way. Do you know what I mean? To like, so interesting. Yeah. And just some people are fantastic. We've had many, many fantastic people in our, I mean, so many really great. And then we've had some, some people who are just <laughs> Still learning. absolutely, you know, they, they want to see things black and white, black and white. Exactly. And Which, they don't want to delve into, you know, oh my gosh. what are they actually experiencing here? Who is the black and white thinker? Everyone, every time that I've thought, every time that I've read literature, most times that I've read literature on those with autism specifically, and this applies to lots, but, um, is that they see the world black and white. Right. But it's ironic that are they the ones that see black and white or is it the teachers who want to see them as black and white? Right. Exactly. Are they, they more colorful? Fit them into a mold. That Fitting they in a mold. Fit into. But so. it's not that they need to be in a mold. Now there are some, you know, comforts with routine and structure and all that, but I have noticed that the children that I've worked with, with autism are extremely flexible when given the right environment to be so. So yes. it's more of, am I willing to not be black and white? Am I thinking, am I willing to think out of the box? It come, it, the, the responsibility becomes turned onto the teacher to be different instead of the student. And it's not that the student doesn't need to grow or change. I think there's a big uh, conversation going on about how much the expectation should be on these children. And there, I don't agree with not pushing them or stretching them or inviting them to grow, but your strategy has to be adaptable. Both parties need to grow and stretch the teacher and the student to meet each other in this 
language of a different language. And it's an adventure for both. And right. It's so much fun. And your timeline needs to be different. Exactly. Yes. And that's, that's where it's so important not to compare. And they'll know? surprise you. Because, you know, yeah. and, and it's, and our, um, our cello teacher for my boys has been absolutely fantastic. She's, I want to say an expert in teaching children like this. I don't know if she actually is, but she feels like it to me. (laughs) And, um, I remember two experiences I'm going to share really, really fast. Um, one with my youngest child where we were feeling like very, like, I don't know, about 18 months into his cello experience where I was just like, I'm, done. <laughs> this is like, he, he just has such a hard time sitting and to play the cello, you have to sit, you know, it's a requirement. <laughs> you have to Torture. Sit. Just sitting. <laughs> and it would be like, we would get maybe like two or three minutes if we were lucky of any sort of practice. And the progress was just unimaginably slow. Wow. And I was thinking to myself, this is the worst thing I have ever signed up for, for this child in my entire life. <laughs> and we're we're paying for these lessons with this incredible teacher that we love. She taught my older son, teaches my older son, and we love her, but I feel like she's wasting her time. I feel like every lesson, it's the same thing over and over yeah. again, you know, that we're not internalizing, we're not making progress. And so I called her and we talked for like an hour and I was just like, look, I'm just feeling so frustrated and so done. And she just said to me, you know, uh, she said a couple of things and she said, um, first of all, um, it's really important that you don't compare him to his older brother ever yes, right, that you right, recognize that he's different. on his yeah. own path, that he's his own person and that he's going to do a whole his different own thing. adventure. Just, yeah. yeah, exactly. Or, or to anyone else. And right. then she said, you need to recognize all of the positive, wonderful things that this child has. You know, she talked about his sweetness and how kind he is and how loving he is, which I mean, (laughs) which if you know people with neurodivergence, so many of them are that way. Yeah. Just have so much, sweetness and lovableness inside of them. Absolutely do. They just have all these big emotions and feelings. Yes. Yes. You know, (laughs) um, and then she said, she said, you are his parent. And if you feel like you need to pull him out, pull him out, but I will never give up on your child. And that level of commitment, like it's just, it's so like, I mean, you don't find that very often. I'm going to call her. (laughs) I haven't talked to her yet, but I want to. Oh, she, she, she said, you don't know yet, but this is probably the very best thing you could ever be doing for his brain. And he's been in lessons now for three and a half years. I love it. And you know, we're still making very slow progress, oh, he's doing but he can sit on his stool for 15 minutes. And That's so huge. we are like, it's such an accomplishment for him, Yes, you know, and he now goes to lessons and lessons originally were him rolling on the floor. Yes. And I mean, literally That's he would, amazing. he would topple off his stool and spend probably 20 to 30, 20 to 25 minutes of his 30 minute lesson rolling on the floor, just rolling around. Experiencing and that not tangible to connection to the cello right, house. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and she, she was so good. She has worked so hard to, to find ways to adapt to him. But to also not, like you said, lower those expectations. Right. You know, and, and to, she's just been brilliant with him. And watching him now be able to be excited to be at cello and to sit through a lesson 
and to interact with his teacher and to listen. And all of this has come over years of very, very gentle instruction and lots of patience, never being mean, never saying you have to sit on your stool or we can't have a lesson today. Right. You know, just that very, and, and that takes a special kind of patience. And it's been a real lesson to me as a teacher. I feel like I've learned so much on how to approach these children from watching her approach my son. Yes. Oh, I love that we'll find a way kind of thing. Right. Right. I think that is the best takeaway I can take from that story for myself is as a teacher is if some child is not responding, not motivated, not wanting to start, not following through, not paying attention, not looking at you, not looking at your hands when you're on the piano keys or whatever it is, the creative responsibility is on the teacher. I think to find a way, right. We'll find a way. There is a way. There always is a way. I will say that there's always a way to, help that student grow. And that if you have that mentality of the the knowledge that there is a way you just haven't found it yet, well, then there's work to be done. And I think there's lessons to be learned. And that's why we're here to learn that as teachers. Absolutely. And I did want to mention, and I think that this is important for teachers who are out there who are dealing with students that you feel like are maybe not a good fit for you. Yes. But there's, am I not helping? Right. Can I not give them what they need? Exactly. And there's a difference between giving up on a child and also having a very honest conversation with parents and yes. saying, look, we aren't getting along. Right. Like, this right. is not a good relationship and right. helping them find another teacher, not saying you're not a good musician, not giving no, up on them no. in that sense. I might not but be the person. I might not be the right person for you. And I've had that experience with that. several students before where I have felt very strongly, like either that I didn't have the expertise at the time or that the child and I just were not Right. A good fit. And that right. Happens. You know, you have to have a be flexible to, to that it's too. It's a relationship. It's a long term relationship. Oh you goodness. have to you have to be willing to know when, okay, this isn't going to to be going, it's not going anywhere. Right. You know, and right. it's not because of me and it's not because of them. It's just this is not isn't a good fit. And right. So I don't want what we're saying here to make any teacher feel like, oh, I have to keep all of the students that no, come my way that aren't I'm it yeah. is it is a, a responsibility that you um, you accept, right? And you have to, as a teacher, and we'll talk about this later too, about what a good teacher will do in terms of their boundaries, in terms of what they can commit to. Right. Absolutely. What things that they don't feel it's the right time to commit to yet. So all of that goes into the play. We just wanted to bring attention to what it looks like to teach a neurodiverse child in music lessons and how to be successful with that. And one thing I wanted to mention too, I think there's some, some literature and and conversation that's a little bit confusing for some people about neurodivergence to assume that it means gifted. And these are two different and gifted. That's a whole other question too, but there's not necessarily this. I mean, I like to call it a superpower to have this, you know, different kind of mind at thinking, but those are, it's, it's the capacity is different for every child in terms of what the right amount is for them in terms of what they can pursue, what, what is good for them to pursue. What are, what is their trajectory, which always is changing too. I just think that I have experience with, um, a child, uh, who is, I believe neurodiverse and also pretty gifted at music. Absolutely. And, this has been tricky. This has been very tricky to help on this ride of growth for this child. And it's been such an adventure, but some of these principles that would apply to various types of kids with different abilities, um, such as with neurodivergence, you have certain principles that are, that you see common, but not always such as this principle of starting anxiety. This is very common with 
children that I see with ADHD in particular is this, I can't begin. I can't begin my practice, but once they get going, it's so awesome. It's just very self-sustaining, but this process of changing tasks, this is common with autism too. Changing tasks or beginning a task is overwhelmingly terrifying. It's as simple and as love, as much as they love the task itself, if they love their instrument, if they love to practice, but they just can't get started. It's that it's, it's this, it's this thing that they experience. And so knowing that that is a genuine um, aspect of, or maybe a potential aspect of, of a child's neurodivergence or just personality, um, it, it can give your teacher a lot more patience in how to approach them, how to soothe that starting anxiety to help them, to assist them. It's something that adults struggle with all the time. And I think it's something that we can learn to help soothe instead of shame, you know, and I think that's a big change in our culture as we go into, I think what they call gentle parenting. Right. It's not that you don't want to get them to start practicing or do their chores or other kinds of responsibilities that are not savory. And, and it's not that you don't have them do those things at all. It's that you make it easier for them and with the understanding of what their struggles are. And no, we can't see inside their minds, but we can kind of do our research and get an idea right. and imagine. And that's where empathy comes in. Another, um, Another uh, thing that to mention too is also this concept of rejection sensitivity dysphoria. And I had a friend of mine point this out to me about a year ago, and I'm so grateful she did. And this is probably the most pronounced benefit that I have received in coaching and teaching young musicians is that certain, certain types of level, and everyone has a spectrum with this, right? A rejection sensitivity, how we respond to perceived criticism, perceived criticism, not actual criticism. But it's what they perceive. We have no control. We have very little control of how someone perceives what we're saying. So, but if we know that that is a tendency and a possibility, it doesn't mean that we need to be, you know, walking on eggshells, but there's a multitude of ways we can articulate ourselves and how we want someone to improve or correct. Sometimes certain, even behaviors, this is in the parenting world, particularly there's certain behaviors that in my family, we teach that are not okay. And, um, but we have to do this with the knowledge of the understanding of this rejection sensitivity dysphoria that can be very common with neurodivergence. Right. And so how do we help a, a student, a child reach their potential and their character and their work ethic and their development of who they are as a person while still being sensitive to that? And that is a very, very, very deep and tricky subject that I would love to talk more about, but it's something that I, it, for those of you who might not know what that is, uh, in, in literature, you can see it, um, abbreviated as RSD. I would encourage everyone to read up on that just to kind of become aware oftentimes. And in my own experience, I see a lot of that in myself and I say, well, that explains a lot of my right. bad experiences yes. in the past. <laughs> wow. If I was aware of this or if my mentors and teachers or professors or whoever was aware of this, it would have changed everything. And so I think this is a way as a teacher, if there's one thing I would advise every teacher, every parent to walk away and do is to research this. Um, and then also to look at, put yourself in the eyes of someone who experiences this. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it is, I, I mean, I just learned about this recently, probably about a year ago. And it explains a lot. A lot. It explains a lot. We'll just put it that way. It, it explains, explains a lot. A lot. It's very it, helpful. Right. It is. It's nothing like bad. I, I mean, there, there might be some regret like, oh, if I had only known. But really this research, a lot of this research hasn't been around for very long. Right. So, I mean, this is the beauty of being in this time, like is, is receiving all this wisdom. And there is misinformation too. But I will say talking to you, Jennifer, and to other people who are experiencing this ride this journey through music education, the Suzuki method and other ways, and also our experiences positive and negative with, um, 
mentors, teachers, and philosophies has been very helpful to talk about and to have a community to um, reach out to and bond over because it's a very, very community and socially healthy thing to do, I think, to yeah. bond over this. Absolutely. One, one last thing I think we should talk about. And um, what advantages do you see neurodivergent children have oh, in music? And there's uh, not just in music, but in so many things. Like there are... There are a lot, and I think we can spend a lot of time trying to, to, I don't know. It sometimes feels like we can spend a lot of time trying to label these kids or say, oh, this is the weakness. Something and this is the that's thing wrong, that's wrong with them. It's, no, it's, it's not. Just, it's, it really isn't. It, it's, it's a superpower that comes with its own list of things that you have to work through. Like you were saying with the sensory issues or with the rejection dysphoria, it just, this, all of this stuff is part of it. But what is the other side of the coin? What is the other side of the coin? What are things that you see that have been, (laughs) I should have started with that. You know, there are superpowers. That's how I tell these children about if we, if, if we're talking openly about it, that's how I frame it. There, there are more sides of the coin that are positive than the negatives. And we focus so much on the negatives so that we can, as teachers, support them. But really, the, the rewards are great. These are the most compassionate people I've ever met. Absolutely. These are the most 100% empathetic. agree. They can see your heart faster than anyone else. They are so unselfish. They want to help others. They want to calm other people. They are, they want to... And they can see so deeply. They are the most creative people I've ever met. They are very synthesizing. They like to make connections with lots of different things. They like to turn symbols upside down on their heads and see it from multiple angles, which gives them a deeper understanding. They're extremely intelligent people. Uh, And the way that they see the world in this unique way, I believe our world, our music world needs this kind of mind. I think the greatest composers of our time had some ability to do this. I think it's incredible what they can do and the way that they can communicate to us, even without language helps bring out the best in other people. Absolutely. That is my very favorite thing about these people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 100% agree. And, you know, um, just, I think it's so important to remember that they have so much to give. They have so much to offer the world. And I think it's so important to be so careful with how we approach these kids and these students, because they're going to do they, great things. They internalize, you know, comments that they hear in a way that and, we may not be aware of. And they have like, sometimes, sometimes you see photographic memory capacities. Right. They will yes. remember what you say to them forever. And it's not that you can't make mistakes because they are very loyal and forgiving right. when they trust you. So yes, but yes, be careful with them. Be gentle. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I think we're going to have to have like multiple conversations. I know. And I'm going to actually write my notes down next time. So, <laughs> so many things to talk about. Hours I mean, and hours. this. Um, this realm. And I think, you know, I think as music teachers, it's just so important to recognize this is real. This is real. Yes. It's not made up and it's not made up. It's not an aspect of, you know, those 21st century millennial moms that don't know what they're doing. It's no, not, not a pass. result of that. Yeah. No, no, it's not, not a result of that. This is a real thing. It's a discovery. It's a real thing. And these kids need our love. They do. They need our love. They need our support and they need our willingness to kind of like expand outside of our, maybe our narrow view of how we've always thought about things. I mean, I would just encourage anybody listening who maybe doesn't have experience with this 
to research it because if Worth you haven't encountered a neurodiverse child yet as a student, you will, or <laughs> as one of your children's friends, or you know, you will, you absolutely will. And it's so important to know, oh, I can understand this person a little bit better because of this. That's that's what we're hoping. And so. what that will do for you is it will give you the capacity to be a more loving person. Absolutely. More forgiving and more accepting person. Right. Wouldn't want that. Thanks so much for listening today. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.